<laughs> hey now, it's Jay Scott Smith here, the host of JSC Radio, which you can now hear on Stitcher Radio. That's right, Stitcher is radio on demand. Now you can download the free app today and it's available on iOS, Android, as well as Nook and Kindle Fire. You can take JSC Radio anywhere. The app is free. You can listen anytime, anywhere. Now, if you're wondering what Stitcher is, Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all of your favorite shows, plus discover 40,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows, such as JSC Radio. You can create custom playlists. You can rate and review this show and others on Stitcher. Please drop a friendly review on the show. Not only is Stitcher available on all smartphones and tablets, it's also in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory on any of your devices. You can stream your favorite podcasts, like JSC Radio, for free on Stitcher. You don't have the Stitcher app? Simple. Go to Stitcher.com today or check out the App Store on whichever device you use. Stitcher Radio. Be sure to check it out. This is JSC Radio. The courtroom was absolutely packed. There were a lot of nervous people in there. You got to remember, this decision could affect a lot of lives, and people were very aware of that. As the verdicts were announced, Derek Rose looked up to the sky but showed no visible emotion once the nose came in, which meant that he had won his case. He then hugged his attorneys and then walked across the courtroom and thanked and shook hands with the accuser's attorneys, uh, skirting by the accuser. He did not shake her hand. And then it was on to the jurors outside the courtroom. They came out and they hugged him. I heard one juror say to his attorney, you presented your case very well, and they thanked him and thanked him for their service. And then it got truly bizarre. Before Derek Rose and his attorney came out here, the jurors were filing out on the steps, and Derek Rose's attorney called them back in to take pictures. So there are pictures now of Derek Rose and his jurors, and you might think they're starstruck a little bit, maybe, but they insisted that their verdict, that they decided on the verdict because the, the accuser did not prove her case. As Derek was leaving, I mean, he, he pulled the um, Marshawn Lentz. I just want to focus on the season. I just want to focus on the season. But he was headed. Uh, he said to me, I'm, I'm relieved, and I'm sure he's awfully happy that this is all over. It was a 10 days of a bizarre, bizarre case. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Children of all ages. Hey now, how is everything going? My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the landmark 20th episode of the People's Podcast, JSC Radio. How the hell's everybody doing this week? Happy to be with you after 19 plus episodes of this thing. The fact that I've made it to 20 when originally I figured this thing was going to get to maybe 5 or 10 before it just would totally crumble, 20 is a pretty good milestone, so I'm definitely feeling myself today. Remember, you want to follow me, get at me on Twitter, at Smith. Get at me on Instagram, at Smith. Are you on Snapchat? Hey, guess what? So am I. You want to know that name? Smith. No matter where you look, it's Smith. Damn it. This is JSC Radio. I want to welcome everybody checking this show out for the first time. Welcome. Feel free to hit me with a five-star rating and leave a review of the show and let me know what you think. Coming up this week, got guest number three. And as I'd like to say more often than not, 
I enjoy getting people on this show who are smarter than me. And the young woman who's going to be on here with me today is brilliant. It's ESPN's Adrienne Lawrence. And we're going to be talking to her about the story of her rise. You probably noticed her on ESPN for the last few months or the last year. She was on ESPN News to start, but now she's moved up to Sports Center. Yes, that's right. She's on Sports Center. And she's going to be here on JSC Radio talking about her road to Bristol. The transition from being a practicing attorney, which she was for almost a decade. She was a practicing attorney to being a sports center anchor. Plus, we're going to be talking about a whole lot of Derrick Rose. And I know as y'all listen to this, the verdict just came out maybe a couple of hours ago as I'm recording this here. And he was essentially cleared of any wrongdoing, found not liable in the civil case. And that's it. Jury found him not liable. And those of you who may not know exactly what the Derrick Rose case is, he and two of his buddies were accused of gang raping a woman who he had previously had a consensual relationship with. She sued before pressing criminal charges, and it led to a lot of ugliness, including people going to the tried and true. She's a gold digger. She's trying to exploit him. Why'd she wait so long? Look, we we covered a lot of that in last week's show, all right? That whole behavior. We covered a lot of that in episode 17 with the amazing Lara Witt. You can check out episode 17, by the way, soundcloud.com slash jscottsmith or on iTunes or on Stitcher. Definitely go check that out. And we've been down that road. But Derek Rose, who his whole start to his New life as a New York Nick was on hold because of this trial, but he was cleared by a jury in a civil case. Okay, that's your justice system. That's how that works. And he wasn't even in there for criminal charges. So that's fine. Two things that bothered me about this. One, I just mentioned the rather gross and disgusting reactions by people, a lot of the men, to this woman accusing Derrick Rose of just heinous crime. Derrick Rose and his two friends of this heinous crime And on Twitter, of course, people on Twitter being people on Twitter and being gross and disgusting and just awful human beings. And you should all be ashamed of yourself, including certain individuals tweeting out such things as, how does one get consent anyway? Dude. But the other thing that bothered me is, and let's be real here, Derek Rose has been accused of a number of things. The one thing you'll never accuse him of is being smart. You've probably seen this. In fact, I retweeted the picture of it. And I've not exactly been very happy about looking at this picture, but Rose and his attorney took this really cheesy, goofy picture with two of the jurors after the decision. Like, it is an awful, awful look. Even someone with Derrick Rose's level of self-awareness would understand that that's a bad look. A terrible look. It's bad enough that you got the judge joking with him, I wish you luck, but not when the Knicks play the Lakers. (laughs) <laughs> but it's even worse when you've got Rose standing there with these two jurors, cheesing it up, smiling, laughing. I'm just saying this as a man who's never been accused of sexual assault, who's never been in a position like that. And I get it. You're happy. I get it. There's a huge weight off your shoulders because of what you've been accused of, even though this is a civil case. The things that will do to your reputation I can understand you being relieved. Derrick Rose, that's a situation where once you hear that verdict, you're you're like, it's over. You, your attorney, all your people, all your handlers, you get up, you get the hell out of that courtroom, you get to the car, get to the crib, 
get to the airport, and get to New York. Don't go hanging around, cheesing it up, smiling, celebrating. Do that in the car. Do that away from sight. You ain't got to say nothing. You ain't got to give any sort of statement to the media, at least not yet. Get to the car. Get to the crib. Get to the airport. Get to New York. You survived. You and your two buddies survived. You ain't got to pay a thing. And pretty good chance, who knows, maybe there'll be a criminal trial, maybe not. But you got out of there. You survived. Get out of there. Mugging for pictures with jurors combined with that judge joking and laughing with you in the courtroom. Ain't a good look, bruh. It ain't a good look. You won. The legal system worked for you. Get on the plane. Get to New York. Get out of the building. And who the hell is working with him? Whether it's his attorney or some handler or a PR person How did someone even allow him to take that picture? Get out of the building. Get out of the building. By the time you get to New York, your PR people have put out a statement. Your PR people have expressed contrition, but relief, and that's it. Get the hell out of there. You won. In the court of public opinion, people are going to think whatever they want to think, but you won. But dude, that look is so bad. It looked awful. Like, go to my Twitter, at J. Scott Smith. I retweeted that damn thing. Take one look at that picture. And Otis Livingston, who works for the CBS affiliate in New York, said the same thing I did. My man Xavier Pope said the same thing I did. My man Damian G. from the Last Mark Standing podcast, when I retweeted it, he had the same reaction I did. What the hell are you thinking? What are you thinking, Derek Rose? What the hell are you thinking about? It's an awful, awful look. But what's not an awful look is Adrian Lawrence from ESPN. She will be guest number three here on episode number 20 of the People's Podcast, JSC Radio. I'll be talking to Adrian about her rise to ESPN, including being an attorney and her entire road to being a sports center anchor. Plus, we will get into Derrick Rose, the legal ramifications, and what this all means in the grand scheme of things. My name is J. Scott Smith, and you're listening to the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio, and we'll be back after this. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Hey now, what up though? J. Scott Smith here, the host of the People's Podcast, JSC Radio. And you might be wondering why I call it the People's Podcast. Well, I've got a brand new reason for me to call it the People's Podcast, because I'm putting the future of this show into your hands. This show is now on Patreon, and what Patreon is, is going to help you, the JSC Radio listener, the JSC Radio follower and fan, contribute to the show in whatever way you see fit. That's right, looking for people to help keep this show moving. Whether you want to donate $1 an episode, hell, $1 a month, for $5 per episode. I'll shout you out on this show and you'll even be able to vote on exclusive polls and exclusive half episodes. That's right, JSC exclusives. You'll get to hear those half episodes before anyone else. For $10 or more per episode, now it gets fun because you get to be a sponsor on this show. You got a business, you want me to talk about it, I want you to sponsor my show. For $10, hit me up, send me the script, I'm putting you over. Plus, you get all the other cool stuff that comes with it. For $25 an episode, same thing applies, except this time, you will become an official segment sponsor. Do you want a segment of this show sponsored by your business? Of course you do. That's why you want to hit me up on Patreon. 
for more information on how to become a sponsor of JSC Radio, go to patreon.com slash JSC Radio. Patreon.com slash JSC Radio, and you can truly help this become the People's Podcast. Hello, I'm Aziz Ansari. I'm here because apparently there's someone that's on the fence about voting, and they're gonna see me telling them to vote, and then they're gonna be like, okay, I guess I'll vote. What, what the f do you need? How many celebrities have made these stupid f videos? Robert Downey Jr. made one. DiCaprio made one. Jennifer Lawrence is in one. These people are way more famous than me. Why do you need me? Well, Aziz, some of the millennials are really responding to you. If you can make a video, really, it's gonna make a difference. There's a guy running that says he hates brown people. Why, why that's not enough? He doesn't believe in climate change. You realize how dumb you have to be to not believe in climate change at this point? Seriously, this is gonna make the difference. It's my lunch break right now. Go vote, please. There's too much at stake to sit on the sidelines during this election. Register to vote at nextgenclimate.org vote, and then get out there to the polls on November 8th. This is JSC Radio. See you another Sports Center update. I'm Adrian Lawrence. So I've got some good news and some bad news for you. The good news, it's for the Cowboys. The fracture in Tony Romo's back, it has healed. He's injured no more. In Dallas, they think that the veteran QB is gonna be ready to return by weeks eight or nine. But the bad news, who's Dak? Rookie Dak Prescott, he is gracing the cover of Sports Illustrated. Cause with Romo out, he's been breaking records, taking the Cowboys to four and one this season. And sure, Jerry Jones, he has said this is Romo's team, but before they take the reins from Prescott, Dallas has a lot to think about. And this is JSC Radio, the People's Podcast. Welcome back. J. Scott Smith here, and as I said in the intro, this is the 20th episode of this show. I've previously had two other guests on here, and each one, as is the rule, has to be smarter than me. And this person who's about to come on here now is by far the smartest person to crack a microphone on this show, way ahead of me. My guest today is Miss Adrienne Lawrence. She's a sports center anchor, legal analyst. She joined ESPN in August of 2015 as a member of the ESPN Fellowship, coming to the network after practicing law for eight years. She contributes legal articles to ESPN.com and ESPNW. She's a California native, a huge lover of food trucks, Big international traveler, and like I said, the smart part. She has a degree from Cal State Sacramento, master's from the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, JD from George Washington, and is currently finishing up another master's from USC Annenberg. Good grief. Ladies and gentlemen, may I please welcome from ESPN, Miss Adrienne Lawrence. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I love how you say, like, I'm currently finishing up another master's at USC because Lord knows. Like, I did the program, but the thesis isn't done, and if you've got already three degrees, kind of like, okay, I, I get to you thesis. As someone who's been down that, I've only got one master's degree. I feel like I'm lagging behind you now, but I've been down, yeah. I've been down that thesis road. Oh boy! student loans. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I, I, see, that's that's putting the fear of God into somebody, talking about there student loans. Go. It's it, it's like, that's. I'd rather owe the mob than the government some days. It's... <laughs> It is rough out here in, in these student loan streets. So you have an unbelievably fascinating story. And I remember the first time I saw you, it was about a year, a little more than a year ago. And it was like, wow, okay. It's always good to see another 
another young black woman, young black face in ESPN. And when I heard your backstory, it's like, she went from being a lawyer. So I guess before we go any further in this, how did you make that transition from being an attorney to being at ESPN? And, and also, what type of law did you practice? Um, let's see, gosh, lots of questions there. So I would say, you know, I had been practicing for, I was hitting about the seven-year mark, and um, unfortunately, my older brother, who's only about 15 months older than me, he was in an accident, and it left him paralyzed. And it's kind of like when we're, even, because I wasn't even 30 yet, but when we're about that age, like, I don't know, life is real enough, but at the same time, you still kind of think that you're invincible. And that was like a big wake-up call. I was like, okay, so this, I'm not invincible. And then also I looked around, and I had been working for high-profile law firms all of my life, and they are great firms. I had a great experience. I represented members of Congress on the Hill when I worked back in D.C., and I also did a lot of business litigation for oil companies. And then when I came out to L.A., I represented A-lister Hollywood people and very, very extremely wealthy people in business litigation disputes, real estate, all that great stuff, intellectual property. And so I got the cream of the crop in terms of just professional experience and just people and exposure, great. But at the same time, you just wake up and you realize, I am not going to live forever, and am I really happy? And I had a lot of money because big law pays a lot, of, a lot, but at the same time, when you're not happy, people, don't, people often don't realize this when they haven't reached maybe their financial goals. But once you have it, and, and you realize, oh, my gosh, I'm not happy. Like, it's, it's the hugest wake-up call because generally our society says to us that monetary attainment is, like, where you reach in your peak and everything's going to be fine. No, not at all. And so then I was like, okay, well, um, I ended up talking to this therapist, life coach lady, and she worked me through to, like, my childhood dreams and what I'd love to be. And I was like, you know what, I want to be an ESPN anchor. And no joke, less than probably about a year and a half later, I'm at ESPN anchoring, which is crazy. <laughs> so how did it go from that day where you're you're talking to the therapist, life coach, guru, who you were able to manifest that ESPN gig? How did how did the process go? Okay, so um, I, because I've been in the legal world for 12 years at that point, I practiced for eight, but I've been in there forever. I didn't know how it went in terms of anything, in terms of being on television or sports in the world other than being a fan. And um, so I just started taking classes at UCLA through their extension program uh, in journalism. And I knew I wanted to do sports journalism. So I started taking those classes and just talking to the women and the men in those classes and the teachers who wrote for, like, the L.A. Times and who had been Emmy-winning um, journalists and things like that. And they, uh, I ended up finding out that USC was having a one-year master's program. And I, I, I didn't need another degree. But I knew that just because I know how the world works. If I get another degree then and I get it in the field that I want to be in, it will signify to people that this chick's serious about what she's going to do. She's going to take up X number of student loans and give up her time to do this. So I applied to the USC Master's in Specialized Journalism program. One year, it was awesome because it allows you to take classes anywhere in the entire school and to write about it. And that's your degree. And so I did that, and the law firm I worked for, Greenberg Chard, I got to give them a shout out because they are just exceptional. They allowed me to continue to practice and to represent my clients, go to court, have my conference calls while I was in school. 
for that year. And so I'd run out of class and take a conference call. And I love it because it was like with these Hollywood A-listers on the phone, you know, fearful of what's going on or whatnot. And I get to talk to them and help coach them down. So I still got to do that rewarding part of representing people. But I also got to fulfill my passion of being at USC. And then while there, I get this email link from ESPN starting a fellowship where they wanted to take people who have been successful in one area of life and were looking to be in sports broadcast and kind of cultivate them and make them their own. And I applied, and I beat out, like, some, I don't know, I was told, like, 500 people, and now I'm here. So you are the exceptional one. And just for... Uh, Well, I'm the one who got the golden ticket. You're the one who got the golden ticket. I'm Charlotte. Yeah, I'm Charlotte. (laughs) You, You were the one who reached up and got the brass ring. And... Had yeah. <laughs> had you not told me all this, I would have assumed, in fact, I figured that you had done work as an attorney, but you'd done TV before. Because you strike me no. as someone who just, this was something that came naturally for you. No, just arguing in court. I had done a lot of appellate work. It's where I was passionate. Um, so I've, I've talked in front of court uh, often and judges. And I've also, I, I taught um, for a few years. When I was in D.C., because God forbid, like, I, it's funny, like, if you ever read my resume, it's forever, because I, I just need to be busy. I cannot not. And so, like, <laughs> I taught as an advocate professor for undergraduate students. I taught them law and, um, and several other topics. And so it's kind of like I've been public speaking, so to speak, for a long, long time. But I've never been talking sports. And let me tell you, just also the people I work with, my goodness, like, they are just so crazy talented. I am nowhere near them. And so I am always humbled every day and learning something new. Well, you work with a friend of mine, Miss Hill. Who's that? Miss Jamel Hill. Yeah, she's fabulous. Yeah, she's, oh, she's awesome. She's, and the thing about Jamel is she's never really changed from when she was in Detroit and when she was at Michigan State. She was there. Jamel, her last year was my first year at Michigan State. So I'm not going to date how long ago that was. But it was a, it was a while back, I'll say that. But she's always been awesome. i I, as I listen to your story, it's like I want to go back a little bit. So, right. where did you where did you grow up in California? Oh, I'm originally from the Sacramento area. You're from NorCal. You're from Sa- you're, you're in NorCal from Sacramento. NorCal. So, uh, yeah. so coming up, did you play any sports? Was there anything that drew you towards sports, or were you just just a fan? And it's funny. I like that you you asked that because I generally don't tell people I played sport. Um, and it's funny because to some extent, like a lot of the people on air. They cling to their sports background. Well, of course, you know, the analysts, but also the anchors, too. And they're like, I've been in the trenches. I know this. I know that. And I never just, I just never tell them. But I played competitive soccer for years. Like, I was, I was keeper. And I always was keeper, even since I was little. And I love it in part because it's such a reflection of my personality. Uh, Because I was a defense attorney. Um, I was just defending large companies. Largely, and I did some criminal work too, but largely just these companies. But when you defend someone, just the way you box out and and just thinking of me in the box, like it so fits my personality because that's also just how I operate. I'm all about bending people and being there for people and being their cheerleader and just having their back and keeping out bad things. And so, yeah, competitive soccer all the way. How long did you play? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I played all the way through high school, I'd say. And then um, I got a job and worked full-time. Actually, I worked full-time when I was in high school, too, the last two years. Um, Yeah, and then went to college because I skipped a grade. And so I graduated high school at 16. And then I got into college, and I'm just so crazy 
I need things to do. Um, I graduated college at 19 with honors, um, but I was just bored. So I, so I took like, I remember one semester I took 24 units. And then I moved to New York and got a master's, graduated that at 20, 21. And then I went to law school. Yeah. And um, graduated law school, 24, and then practiced. And then did the other master's at, what, 31, something like that? <laughs> So, you you have been, been a, it's been a crazy journey, but I've compacted so much life into such a short amount of time that I, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. But I always recommend to people, like, do what your passion is. People laugh at me, and they also mock me for leading such a lucrative lifestyle, and my parents didn't want it. But I also put myself through all my schooling, um, so they never paid for anything. So part of me knew that it was my choice and my decision to do my thing. And it's paid off, clearly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the fact, like, because um, when I was in L.A. and I finished the master's program at USC, um, I was thinking, I'm not going to leave working at big law and getting all this money for some random, like, small opportunity. And I had just gotten hired to be on um, Russell Simmons' digital sports broadcast show, so I would be the host of that, which would have been awesome. But then I got the call from ESPN, and I'm like, the, the top, the worldwide leader in sports wants me miss no experience and so I'm like okay this is something I'm willing to step out of my element 100% and make happen it's like I mean and not this is coming from someone who's not a fan of the New York Yankees but it's like if you got a call from the Steinbrenners saying hey we got a contract here for you <laughs> it's exactly. yeah I mean hey I may not be a Yankee fan but I'll put those pinstripes on for the right amount of money I get that hey I, oh, yeah. I, I totally get that. I, uh, another question I'm, I, guess, I guess has been running through my head here is in terms of being on TV, what are some of the, I guess, the similarities and differences that you see between being an attorney and working in television? You asked for the similarities and differences? Yeah, I guess similarities first. All right, so similarities. Um, uh, being able to articulate something and analyzing it taking it one step further um, in law, you do that in part because you have to think about what the opposition is going to say um, or what their arguments will be because as a litigator, and I, I hold myself as a true 100% litigator to the point where I can take either side, which is why most people hate lawyers because they don't take a side. And But that's what a good lawyer is about. You need to be able to argue both sides. And so being able to put yourself in that vantage point so you can see in television at least what the viewer wants but also trying to see something from the athlete's vantage point and all the other characters playing in it. I think that that definitely is something that transcends both. And then also just articulating articulating what I actually consider a difficult concept. I think sports is extraordinarily intellectual, which is why I chose it. And I, 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 it really, really sincerely is. From all the rules of the game, which actually remind me of like the federal rules of evidence, from these different games that have just these very, very, very technical rules. You have a medical element. You have a huge business element. You now have this significant legal element as these guys find themselves in trouble. Like, sports is a continually moving piece and juggernaut, and the same thing as the law. And so it's just, it just feels like it's a mastermind and wealth of places to be intellectually entertained. What kind of growing pains have you run into as you're oh, getting here, acclimated here. Into, this, into this gig? Oh, um, just, just insane. Uh, number one, I would always say, you know, because I was a fan before, but it's like, um, 
I, I wouldn't even necessarily know kind of an analogy in law, but the wealth of knowledge that these people have, the institutional knowledge they bring uh, in terms of my ESPN colleagues, in addition to the historical knowledge they bring, is something I almost look at as insurmountable. I have had my head in books for the last, and, and legal publications for the last 12 years. Sure, I pop it out every now and then. I took my dad to the World Series for his 60th birthday, and I pay attention to games, and that's always what I'd run on the back screen of the television in, or in the back of the room when I'm just doing my things, always ESPN and sports and what's going on. But to know it, live it, breathe it, track it every single day, that's what these people do. It is what they know, and it's their passion. And so coming into that where law was my everything, it's been one of those, oh, gosh, like just learning all of the things and picking up all the things and reminding myself of all those things has just been insane because these people are so crazy talented and just to be among them and to feed off of them has been huge. And then on top of that, speaking on camera and speaking naturally um, because when I talk about law, I talk, I, speak, I can speak extremely naturally because it's something I've been doing for the last 12 years. But when I'm talking sports, because I'm drawn from a certain segment of my memory or maybe sometimes I don't feel as my knowledge base is that deep or I question it to any extent in any way. And I'm, generally I'm never wrong, but still I'm like, I just, I have yet to, after doing it for a year, just a year now, when it's like, because you look at and these people have been doing it for decades on decades, but doing it for a year, I still question myself about what I'm saying. So there's a hesitancy there when it needs to just be pure confidence moving forward. So accepting that, and also being around people, like I said, who have been there doing it for decades. And you're, you feel like a child when you came from a place where you were gangster. And now you're in a world where you are learning to speak a new language and then also get the formalities of speaking on camera and how you make yourself agreeable, what you need to physically do with your body and look and all these things that are second nature to my colleagues. I'm just now learning that. So, and also just be, just, you know, I came from a world of formalities where people, um, you know, they, they were just very formal in the workplace. And, and the way that they flexed was different and the way that they, you know, do their thing is different. And so learning kind of what is very common and normal now in this environment and making it my own and embracing it. Oh, that's, it's been a struggle, but my God, it's just so good. <laughs> You've managed to make a transition that there are seasoned veterans in TV would have a difficult time making, and you've done it in in a relatively short amount of time. And and I know that's led to you becoming, I mean, with your law background, you now have a niche, and you stick out, you stand out. And, I, and this is a question I've always will ask young women, especially black women who are working in this industry. These days, it's not always the easiest thing to be a woman working in the media. And especially being on social media, I know just from the conversations we've had, I know you occasionally have to deal with it. To give the listeners an idea, what is it like being a woman working in sports media and at times dealing with, with the honestly, knuckleheads that you can run into on places like Twitter and other forms of social media? I would have to say, number one, because I don't have that length of experience and I'm still new in the exposure game. I don't, number one, I definitely don't feel like get it as hard as my female colleagues in any way. Um, I would also say I feel sometimes that the lawyer element of it keeps people at bay to a certain extent. Like, it's like, don't come at me because um, I, will, I will clap back quick and I, I will <laughs> I do not. 
And so I do feel to some extent that that kind of can hold people at bay a bit. But I would say a lot of things I get are just kind of, they're not insulting. Like, I think I've gotten maybe one or two insulting things that I truly, well, you know, you have to be insulted. But like, you know, um, maybe four-letter words, five-letter words that you don't care for. Um, I, 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 I rarely get those. I get, I get, you know, some offensive stuff, but usually it's like a um, physical physique kind of thing every now and then, and it's not too many of them are too bad, and I just skip right over them and roll out. Um, but it's funny because, like, I, um, like, I'm a spiritual person, and so I believe God prepares you for something more. And I had an odd situation at the law firm, and I make, I'm working at a law firm who has the largest footprint of any law firm in the United States and is a huge international law firm that. And I got a phone call one day coming into the office on a Sunday, as usual, where someone leaves me a voicemail telling me they're going to rape me. And I'm a, I'm a litigator. And I am just, like, scared out of my wit. And I had no idea why I got the phone call. The LAPD ended up investigating it, and it turned out to be a prank call from some high school kid whose friend said he put him up to it. Like, And they got to the basis of it, that it was just a random dial, and they thought they just thought it was funny or something. But... For those, I'd say that week of time and going through that, where they did their investigation and stuff, it was really scary. But I just knew something, I was being prepared for something more. So when I get, like, inappropriate things on Twitter or whatnot, I, it doesn't save me. Because it's like, I've already been down that path, so I can't help you. Like, you're just, your shenanigans on rye. <laughs> That's it. I am, wow. It's... Yeah, no, I just, I think we're always being prepared for something more for what, what's coming down the pike. And it's like, so when you go through hard things, it's like, well, that's because something else is going to come down and I need to be able to dust this dirt off my shoulders. And that's it. That, that's one way to segue into the other part of this conversation. You've been, wow. I'm, somebody actually calls a law, not not realizing they're calling a law yeah. firm, but somebody calls no, a law yeah, firm. Yeah, like some high school kids. Yeah. And, and it says, this is Adrian Lawrence at Greenberg. Yeah, and it's just, and my law firm was so supportive and amazing about it. Because the thing is, like, I wasn't, like, I wasn't half the mover and shaker then as I am now. Because, you know, you law firm. I don't wear makeup when I go to work. I don't I don't have to look any which way. I can take conference calls and I can take all sorts of, like, court appearances. You can take them on the phone in your office. You just lived in your office. So part of me is, like, I know I didn't, I didn't so to speak, expose myself to un- some unsavory people. It was just one of those random things. And that's why I was, like, okay, I got you. Like, I know I'm being prepared for something else. And so now I'm completely, I'm ready. It's like, you can't, you can't shake me. I would say to segue into the other half of this conversation in my, in the intro talked about Derek Rose. And as we were, as like, as we were going to record this originally, the verdict came in and everything kind of changed here. So I guess from your legal perspective, because this was a civil trial, not a criminal trial, I guess you're your outlook or your opinion on what exactly happened here where Derrick Rose is found not liable. And second question is, does this essentially take any potential of him being criminally charged off the table? Oh, it totally does. Yeah, there's nothing. And nothing, to be honest, I would have said if I could have given percentages, like the chance before we got the verdict, the chance of him being charged in a criminal way would have been maybe 30%. And I say that in part because if they had enough to charge him, which would have been probable cause to believe that a crime had been committed, they already would have done it, but they didn't. So part of me is like, okay, 30%. And then now that the um, now that you actually have, like, a verdict, 
where it didn't reach the level of where it needed to be, based on the evidence we have right now, we're looking at 1%. Because there's just, there's nothing, there. it's like, how can you even want to bring an actual criminal jury trial when the standard is so much higher than it is in what we just had, that civil trial, and try to accuse him of rape in the criminal sphere when you can't win it in the civil sphere. It's just, it's nonsensical. So it's just like, it's over. But I always said, like I said to someone on Twitter last night, you, I never say impossible. And that is also the lawyer in me. I will never say impossible because I've seen so many things, but also you never know what could happen. So in the event new testimony comes out, like what if, like this total hypothetical, but what if Derek Rose went bragging to friends about doing X, Y, and Z and was caught on camera or this or that? You never know what could happen to change the dynamic. And I, so I always qualify my statements, which is why I say highly unlikely that any criminal thing would ever come because it's just, it would never make sense. There's nothing there. When I think about to be able to win. When I think about what went on during that civil trial, one thing that just jumped out to me was that deposition that he gave. And there's the mm-hmm. infamous line in the deposition where he's asked about consent, and he kind of flatly just says he does he didn't know. And I guess later he tried to clean it up and say that oh well I was nervous or whatever it is. But mm-hmm. when you're a when you're someone who's essentially seeking, whether it's in a, in a civil case or a criminal case, and obviously in our current climate, unfortunately there's a lot of issues of women coming forward years after the fact sometimes, and it becomes so much more difficult. What kind of a hill is that for a woman to climb five, ten, even a year after after being assaulted? And how difficult is that to make, I guess, how difficult of a case is that to make as time goes on? Oh, it's huge. It's significantly difficult. And like we've seen things with like Bill Cosby and these women coming 30 years later. There is no physical evidence. You don't have anything uh, necessarily, especially from those cases going back decades, in this case here with Derek Rose, we just had uh, text messages. That was the only kind of physical evidence we had. We didn't have a rape kit. And that's also what the juror said was their issue, not having physical evidence, which is a shame. And I can explain why later. But it's a, it's, it's a, it's a significant hill. And unfortunately, it, all it means is that whether the jury will condemn you will depend on the he said, she said, and whether they feel comfortable condemning you based on the word of someone else. It's your word versus his word. And and to be honest, like in the Derrick Rose case, it really seems she ha- she came in with a leg up because of the deposition testimony. And from my from just my observation uh, as a lawyer, I can tell you it seemed that she lost in, uh, as one juror said, the crying game. I guess she was crying uh, profusely. And uh, and one juror said he just wasn't buying it. Um, and the thing is, everyone responds to everything different. Everyone has different levels of emotion, so okay. Um, but, you know, they might have considered the fact that she, she wasn't conscious or, as she says, wasn't aware of the sex, so to speak. So it doesn't necessarily mean that she wouldn't cry, but I guess the juror at least found to the extent that she was crying that it seemed very um, uh, fabricated. And then on top of that, um, the whole text message debacle when he moved, uh, Derek Rose moved for a mistrial because of the text messages that were not turned over to him. And the fact that that was released in front of the jury and the jury kind of got to see as in what is she hiding because these text messages were arguably favorable for Derek Rose's guide. And so there were those things that just weren't going in her favor. And I honestly think also that, unfortunately, society has yet to educate itself and evolve beyond the fact that you can have rape without having a rape kit. And it's interesting, too, because people, people should really know also that some of these cities, 
uh, in some of these counties and states, they don't require rape kits to be free in hospitals. And so if you don't have insurance, uh, although I know we have Obamacare now, but if for some reason you have any kind of limitations financially, you might not get a rape kit. And some of them you have to wait for hours and hours and hours. And you have to do all sorts of things and swabbing and urinating in a cup and whatnot and having to sit and wait. And then also the financial repercussions and the times and the things I've read about it. Um, and just having been um, a domestic violence rape counselor, which I was years back, but still, it's kind of one of those things of you. It it it's to some extent. Um, it's just it's unfair to put on a woman in such a sensitive situation the onus to say you have to go to police and report it, um, and that you have to go to the hospital and be swabbed and touched down by doctors and go through the sterile experience uh, if you want to get a conviction. That just, it's a lot to put on someone in such a violative situation you, and also an uncertain situation. Now, you mentioned you were a uh, domestic violence and rape counselor. How long did you, uh, how long did you do that? I did that for about two or three years during law school, uh, in part because I didn't want, I didn't say no to anything because I just, I love life experience and like doing things and I love helping people. And so I saw this need and this opportunity to be able to be there for women. And so I was an informal counselor, which is the ones that get the phone calls and the emails that you respond to. And you kind of explain to people what their options are and, and try to move them in the right direction of what they should do, but you don't give them the answer because they have to be able to own whatever decision that they make and know and feel that it's their own because they're already in situations where they feel pressured and controlled. And so this is a way of giving them the control back by giving them the options and the support to make the decisions that they need to make. A lot of this tends to intersect in sports. I mean, I think it's always been there, but now in maybe the last five to seven years, it's become much more pronounced with Ray Rice and Greg Hardy. And now uh, the kicker for the Giants today, it's another one in the Derrick Rose issues and all, and, and all of that. It's, how at times does it does it get difficult trying to explain as someone who's both seen it as an attorney and as a counselor, but now on the other end as a as a broadcaster, when you see these issues in sports, do you think that I guess do you do you see like there's maybe a certain sport is more predisposed to it, or this is just something that now since it's 2016, people are paying a lot more attention to it, and it's not just this isn't just something new that's cropped up in football or basketball or whatever. Um, I don't find it challenging explaining to people on television and it's not one of those where I feel like in any way that I'm um, kind of I guess you'd say maybe numb to it in any way I really 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 enjoy being able to articulate these things to people and also because I've had a lot of jobs lived in a lot of places and just had a lot of experiences being able to provide like a counterpoint and also you should consider and all these things so we can truly see it from a full, hopefully, like, um, you know, 360 look at it. And so I enjoy that. I do find it a little bit, uh, sometimes when I'm explaining, or when I see some tweets come through of people who uh, aren't necessarily informed and, and, and the hateful things. But we all know how we feel about Twitter. So uh, oh it's boy. beautiful, but at the same time, mm, it's just God's gift and the devil's work at times. It's it, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Some days, I if I could, I I don't think I could even try to articulate how some of those tweets were looking following the verdict, for example. It, yeah. I, the most I'll say this: people on Twitter stay classy. That's about the best way I can oh, I can I, I can exactly. describe it. 
It's it's absolutely brutal. I will. I, I guess I can close this out by. I'll, I'll leave this with something a little bit more positive. Describe what your first day as Sports Center anchor was like. Oh gosh. Um. Let's see. I don't think I fully appreciated my first first day. Um. Doing it. I will say that my first day doing completely live coverage. Now that was a doozy. In part just because. Um, when I'm doing updates on ESPN News, most times, I'd say a good 70% of the time, they're pre-recorded or can't, or they can be pre-recorded without issue. And so I don't have to go live all the time, although now we kind of do it more often just because I'm completely comfortable in that space. But I remember when I went just full live on, um, on some kind of press conference Friday afternoon, it was just one of those things where, because you just have to talk. And... And when I still feel I have a limited knowledge base, especially compared to my colleagues, just talking about a topic ad nauseum is a struggle. And especially also getting used to the terminology and things that you say. And so it, it was much like, actually, it wasn't as nerve-wracking as being in court for the first time, but it was still, it was still up there. Adrian, I appreciate you coming on here more than you even realize you you wrote about this Derrick Rose case. Where can people find that? Again, well, they can definitely find it at the top of my Instagram, uh, my Instagram, my um, my Twitter page, um, and it's all the same handle for all of my social media, which is Adrian ESPN, and that's the French spelling of A D R I E N N E E S T N. One more time, what, what's that again for people? That is A D R I E N N E. ESPN. And I will also include a link to that story in the description of this podcast, by the way, so people can get a hold of it. Adrian Lawrence, your story is absolutely amazing. You're a hell of an inspiration to a lot of people, too, to be able to prove that you work hard, you get where you want to be. So thank you so much for coming on JSC Radio. I absolutely it's, this is unbelievable. Thanks, man. Oh. Thank you, and thank you for having me on. Oh. You're like, and you're the jam on Twitter. You're the jam everywhere, so... <laughs> I'm about to, bro. Oh, oh you see, awesome. you know, flattery is the is the easiest way to get to me. So I uh. <laughs> totally appreciate that. Adrian Lawrence from ESPN. You can check her out also. You're still on ESPN News as well, correct? Oh, uh, that's correct. I'm on ESPN News most days during the week, including, uh, well, Fridays for sure. <laughs> well, then be on the lookout for Adrian on ESPN News and on SportsCenter. And thank you for coming on JSC Radio. Thanks so much. And there you have it. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and that was Adrian Lawrence, the amazing Adrian Lawrence from ESPN. Remember, you can check her out on SportsCenter and on ESPN News, giving sports updates around the clock. So be on the lookout for her. Again, she's at Adrian ESPN on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat. I'm at Jay Scott Smith on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat. And I want to thank all of you guys for showing love, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher. Be sure to leave a five-star rating and a review. That's episode 20. Not sure what we've got coming up for 21, but please know that I appreciate all of you who support the hell out of this show. I also want to make sure before I'm out of here that I thank the people at ESPN for allowing Adrian to come on this show because, man, listen... Couldn't do it without any of you guys. 
For Adrian Lawrence, I'm J. Scott Smith telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pet spayed or neutered. Remember that success is certain, and we are out of here. I will see you next week for episode 21. Good night, everybody. Thanks for coming out. God bless you. Good night. Check it out. This is JSC Radio.